Welcome to the Reconciliation Conversation. We want this podcast to be a space where we can expose hate, encourage love, equip for healthy reconciliation, and emphasize unity so that all people can know their value together as one. Well, welcome to another edition of the Reconciliation Conversation. I'm excited uh, for our uh, episode today. We have uh, on our guest today, uh, Micah Edmondson and, and Scott Sauls. Uh, quick, quick bio for these two. Dr. Edmondson and his wife, Dr. Christina Edmondson, they actually have two daughters. Uh, they recent, recently relocated from Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, where Micah served as founding pastor of New City Fellowship. Um, he earned his doctorate at, at Calvin Theological Seminary, where uh, he was actually the first African-American to receive a PhD from Calvin. He also contributes as an adjunct professor. He earned his Master of Divinity degree from Vanderbilt Divinity School and a Bachelor of Science in Applied Physics at Hampton University. Our second guest, Scott Sauls, is, is married as well, has two uh, children, and he's a pastor of uh, uh, Christ Presbyterian Nashville. He actually served with Tim Keller with Redeemer Presbyterian New York City and started churches in Kansas City and St. Louis. He's the author of five books, including his latest, A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in the Age of Us Against Them. He's also a UNC Tar Heel fan. Me and Jason, we're going to not hold that against him. Go Duke uh, for the sake of That's unity. A, let's go Duke. Here Come in on, this man. conversation. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, our two guests, uh, Micah and Scott, how are you guys doing today? Doing, doing great. great. Thank you so much for having us. No doubt. No doubt. Micah, this is, this is for you. Um, in your own words, you've said, there are a host of scriptures that reveal God's gospel determination to unite a diversity of people in Christ for the sake of his glory and worship. Man, you're serving in a, a white environment. I, too, as a, as a pastor, served in predominantly white environments as well. As pastors, that can be a challenge. Help our listeners understand why the current protests, as well as this reconciliation conversation, is so crucial for the church here in America during this cultural moment. Mm. Okay, great. Wow. Uh, big questions. Thank you for asking those questions. Uh, so yeah. you mentioned that uh, uh, there are a host of scriptures um, that do uh, point us in the direction of coming together as a diverse people, uh, and I would say on equitable grounds. One scripture in particular is we may think of God's promise to Abraham that in you shall all the families on the earth be blessed. That's a very interesting way of God declaring the gospel beforehand to Abraham, because the Lord could have just said, in you, people will be blessed, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or uh, in you, uh, and, and he, he does say at times that Abraham, you shall be a blessing. But in this particular case, he says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the nations shall be blessed. And so God has a particular agenda to bring all of the uh, multi-ethnic uh, people from around the world beneath the banner of, of his son, beneath the banner of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, throughout world history, what we see is we've seen many kings and rulers and kingdoms attempt to unite the world beneath their single banner. Pharaoh attempted to do it. Alexander the Great attempted to do it. Caesars attempted to do it. Even Hitler attempted to do it. None of them have been able to succeed. There's been one king that have been able to unite the people from every uh, nation, tribe, and tongue beneath his one banner, and that's King Jesus. Mm. And uh, it's to God's glory that that's done. And, and, and as he unites them, he unites them in a way that no other kingdom unites the, the diverse people. Um, every kingdom in the history of, of humanity has had various forms of caste systems in which people are 
people are stratified based on uh, any number of factors, uh, race, class, and gender being uh, predominant factors that, uh, upon which people have been stratified throughout uh, history. But beneath the banner of King Jesus, actually, people um, uh, come together uh, as co-heirs, actually. They come together in an equitable way. They come together and grace, in many ways, levels out the playing field and erases the sinful disparities that we see out in the world. And so uh, really what, uh, what, these, what these current protests are about is they are about equity in policing. They are about uh, equity in, um, in access and dignity and worth and recognition of our full humanity in this, in this nation, in this, in this society. And so, uh, so as the church, we have a very, it's very important that we recognize this particular moment and that we have been given unique resources to contribute to the conversation. Mm, um, I can talk on and on and on about those, those unique resources, but we have been given a gospel that actually uh, reveals to us God's intention for humanity and our equitable relationships. We have a table that we come together around, the communion table, where there are no big eyes and little U's, um, but actually uh, people from every tribe and nation and tongue are invited to come together around the same table, co-heirs in Christ. And, uh, and that is a real important witness to the world about God's intention. That's good. That's good. Uh, a pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And, and ministry is are these, these instances of, of justice or lack thereof. And so, yeah, if we can equip our people, uh, if we can resource our people in a to step into those things, man, the difference it can make for the glory of God. Um, I appreciate you sharing that, brother. That's so good. And, and so as a follow-up to that, this is, this is for both of you. So, so, Scott, feel free to jump in first if you want. Christ Prez recently brought you on, Micah. And, and, Scott, I know this was a part of the vision you guys had. You wanted to see multiple expressions of the church loving the city, loving this metro area well. And, 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 and so why, first of all, just two-part question, what excites you guys about serving together? And then secondly, why would you say that it would be healthier for churches to have people with various skin colors and backgrounds present as leaders, public display of leadership for the church. So what excites you? Why is that healthier? So what excites me most about working with Micah is not that he's black. Uh, yeah. what, what excites me the most about working with Micah is that he's a man of God uh, who makes me want to be closer to Jesus when I'm with him. And, and uh, he's humble, he's kind, he's Extremely patient, uh, extremely courageous, uh, and it just makes me want to be a better follower of Christ. And so that, that's what excites me the most um, about, about working and serving together. And he makes our team better. Uh, just by being in the room, he makes our team better and our church better. And so there's that. Uh, I'm also excited about, about redemption and uh, expansion, not only of, of, of the kingdom in, in volume of people, uh, but in um, in the quality of community, and the quality of community is strengthened and enhanced under King Jesus. Uh, the more diverse it is, and yeah. this has been this has been kind of a personal 
mission that, that, that the Lord placed on my heart since we got here. You know, we, we moved here from a global city. We lived within two blocks of the richest people in the world and the poorest people in the world. Uh, we lived six blocks south of, of, of one of the most uh, internationally diverse universities in the world. We lived, uh, we, we served in a uh, more or less biracial uh, church. I, I wouldn't call it necessarily a, a broadly multi-ethnic church, but Redeemer was roughly, uh, you know, 48% white and 48% uh, Korean and, 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 and then uh, a smattering of other races and, and, and other Asian people of Asian descent. And so that was where I got my first taste of diversity. Uh, I, I was called there to, to lead a team very diverse. We had Latinx uh, team members. We had biracial team members. We had black team members, Italian, you know, ethnically Italian, uh, you know, and, and, and white people. And I was completely clueless and they ended up leading me, um, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in these things. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was in some ways just a very clunky learning experience where I had to be forgiven, (laughs) you know, over (laughs) and over by, for my, my cluelessness and insensitivity. And, and that was a real school of, of learning not only humility and empathy, uh, but, but also uh, learning what the kingdom could be uh, mm-hmm. in, in a true multicultural expression of the kingdom, which is different than tokenism. I mean, tokenism mm-hmm. is, is when you, you, know, you, get, you get representation without uh, sharing of power. You get representation sure. without Speak equality, representation without without a seat at the table uh, that's equal, you know, and, and, you know, we have Acts chapter six, we have the scriptures that Mike has referred to. We have, you know, Paul's, you know, repeated, you know, urgent message to Jews and Gentiles to, to share life and community and culture together. You know, we have Paul introducing so many of his letters with, with grace and peace to you. Uh, we don't know this in our, you know, we typically don't, aren't aware of this in our 21st century American context, but that's a Jewish and a Gentile salutation put together. Yes. Grace to you is a, or I'm sorry, Greek, uh, you know, Greek, Greek is uh, grace to you. Jewish is peace to you. And Paul, you know, in, in a subversive way starts his letter that way, sort of as a prophetic mm-hmm. statement of, you know, get on board, buckle up mm-hmm. uh, wow. Jews and Gentiles. Uh, and, and so, Theologically, it's it's morally imperative uh, to 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 lean into and grow into these things. Uh, missiologically, it, it's essential for the mission of Christ to flourish. Ecclesi- ecclesi- ecclesiastically, uh, the church is only as healthy as as there is both the climate and and training and leadership and responsiveness to a call to empathy. Uh, I'd love for Micah at some point to talk about his his. Uh, his theory that, that that there currently seems to be a war against empathy uh, and a war on empathy uh, mm. in a climate where empathy is so desperately needed. Yeah, desperately um, needed. And and so um, and and we're better as as individuals. I mean, I, I look back to the creation of Eve, and and how you know even in paradise before sin entered the world, Adam was incomplete, and and so so to complete Adam. Uh, I think the bigger story isn't that, that God gave him a wife uh, because, you know, Christ and Paul as unmarried men were, were, were very complete people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the bigger story in the, in the creation story and the giving of Eve was that, that, that God gave Adam the other uh, to, to, to compliment him and, and to, 
to complete him where he was incomplete by himself. And I think the races, as well as, you know, people along the economic continuum, the genders complete each other in mm -hmm. ways that we can't become complete on our own. And, and so that's a mouthful, but, but uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to see where the Lord takes this. And I, I can't think of a better pair, uh, you know, in Micah and Christina Edmondson to, uh, to do this together with. So I, I can't wait to see what the Lord has in store. Michael, do you have anything to add to that in your in your excitement, what you're looking forward to? You know, man, I you know what uh, what Scott did mention about uh, power sharing is a huge thing. You know, um, uh, I, and uh, I heard you mention I heard you say speak on it, brother, uh, mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, that that is a particular um, again, I mentioned the word equity before, um, but but equity and power sharing, it's you know, it's one thing to bring people together, diverse people together. But it's mm -hmm. another thing to actually share power amongst diversity. Yeah. Right. That's, right. That's really a, a harder thing to do. That's a harder sell for people, especially when we are swimming in a culture that that says we should not have to share power. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and and the history of our nation actually says that so that's that some people do, are supposed to have all the power and other people are supposed to not have any power. And yep. so when we, we bring people together, um, actually, for the sake of Christ, to to begin to work out what it means to live in um, in gospel communion together um, and to share power for the sake of Christ. It can be a it can be a real uh, it can be it, it's a learning experience it's a growing experience it's a stretching experience for all of us. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that really excites me about being out on on staff here at CPC. Actually, um, the thing that really pulled me into being excited about CPC was that I saw a particular expression of representation at the communion table during a worship service. I actually saw a young woman with special needs standing around the communion table, mm -hmm. um, helping others to partake of communion. And when I saw that, I said, now this is a place that's actually serious yeah. about, about equity and representation and full integration in the life of the of the of the church and the covenant community. And I said, now if they can see it with special needs, mm -hmm. then I believe they can see. I believe they'll be able to see it with race as well and gender as well. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so that was the thing that really opened it up for me um, in terms of have given me confidence in what may be possible here. Um, a lot of cross cultural churches, a lot of multicultural churches, actually are there are white churches that mm -hmm. simply lump black people and people of color onto their agenda. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, it ha I'm sorry to have to say it like that. And I'm not trying to speak on it, anybody. But if you have a situation in which you bring people of color together, uh, as, as Scott had mentioned about tokenization, if you bring people of color together and you don't actually give them an equal seat at the table, yes. um, then you, again, you, you tokenize them and you exploit them for your own agenda. Mm -hmm. And um, and and, you know, because minority folk are negotiating life in a world that is replete with white supremacy, mm -hmm. um, we can store we can sniff this out. Mm -hmm. You know, we can um, we know when the dynamic is the same in the church as it is in the world. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, we can that. I mean. Because, partly because um, our survival depends on it, right? Our survival depends on being able to recognize these dynamics and comport ourselves in such a way that we can be viewed acceptable 
uh, and safe uh, to majority folk. And so we so we know these dynamics well. Um, and so it's important that uh, churches signal uh, equity, inclusion, justice, equal representation in its leadership, in its decision making, in its money and spending, in, in, uh, in the officers that it calls, right on down the line. Scott had mentioned in Acts chapter six, we actually see that happening. Yes. Uh, we, we see the, the apostles um, actually calling and deciding to call uh, a bunch of um, a bunch of Greek converts mm-hmm. uh, and to actually to handle this cultural situation that was going on between the Greek speaking Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Uh, I'm sorry, Greek widows and Hebraic widows uh, yes. in the church. And uh, so you had a cultural problem. It was a problem of inequity and a, and a complaint about inequity. And it's interesting because um, the complaint, the scripture never says, it never actually says what was actually happening. It just says that these are, this is the way the Greek speaking widows felt. felt. They yep. felt like this was a, a situation of inequity. And so the apostles decided, you know, if there's a group of folks among you that feel discriminated against, um, in this situation, we are going to minister to them in such a way that they know without a shadow of a doubt that the deck is not stacked against them. Yes. So we are going to we're actually going to implement a cultural solution to a cultural problem in the mm-hmm. church. And that's a, that's an amazing thing, because, you know, a lot of folks don't think that cultural solutions belong in the church. Um, right. They think that these, this is just a world agenda. This is just mm-hmm. a secular thing. And, and this, these are the, the values of the world, you know. But mm-hmm. we see very early on, again, equity and justice are kingdom values. And they're, they're values yeah. that, that uh, the God's people have been very intentional about from the, from, from the very beginning of the church. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so yeah, uh, so uh, I know that was, that was a lot, but those are some things that excite me about, about CPC because I, I believe that CPC is a community that is serious about digging into that, about yeah. stressing into that. And we're not called, to, so, you know, with this, with this kind of thing, we're not looking for perfect people, but we're looking for pressing people. We're looking mm-hmm. for folks that are serious and folks that are humble in this and folks that just want to learn and follow Jesus wherever he leads around these things. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Something that I thought about when you were saying that, Micah, and obviously both you guys mentioned Act 6, what you see and what you're hearing a lot oftentimes in this conversation is, well, just preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel, right? And what you see in Act 6 is not just a preach the gospel mentality. It's, a, well, because of the gospel, we're responding to the issue at hand and, and seeking, to, seeking to care and resolve the people who God has, has given to them to shepherd. But, but can I respond to that just a little bit? I think that you're sitting on an important point now, actually, mm-hmm. um, because I think that the that part of the problem is that when people say just preach the gospel, mm-hmm. what they mean is that we're supposed to talk about the doctrine of justification only. Only. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That we aren't supposed to say anything about uh, about the redemption of Christ, which makes a claim over all of creation. Right. About mm-hmm. how. Uh, about how God had given the son who gave his life to deliver us from this present evil age. That's Galatians yes. chapter one. And so d- deliverance from this present evil age means a whole lot more than just my own personal justification. It mm-hmm. actually spills out onto all of creation and it spills out 
um, into everything about my life, mm -hmm. right? And it's interesting because I think that there are people that, I think there are many Christians that recognize this when it comes to all a host of other issues. So when it comes to sexuality issues, when it comes to religious liberties issues, when it comes to abortion, we recognize that the gospel makes a claim on our social lives. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to issues of race, suddenly we get stupid and we can't <laughs> think. And how do we do this socially? And, and, and what I'm saying is, is that um, every one of us as Christians, we, we, we recognize that Jesus does make a claim on how we live in the world. There's been many, many years that America has cultivated a kind of theology that strategically avoids issues mm -hmm. of racial justice. And there's, yeah. there's historic reasons behind that. Yeah. Uh, but we have got to press into that because Jesus makes a claim over, as Abraham Kuyper used to say, every square inch, including the this issue as well. I love that. Well, well, building off because you just you just threw out uh, Kuiper, and uh, I feel like we gotta we gotta talk a little bit about some some influencers. So, uh, you know, Scott he lists a multiple multiple leaders and, and thinkers from Tim Keller, C.S. Lewis, Leslie Newbegin, uh, Sung Chan Ra, N.T. Wright, uh, a lot of a lot of names that has you know kind of influenced him and uh, a lot of different things that he's been doing. Uh, Michael, why don't you speak to some individuals who have influenced you in your thinking? especially in the context of, of this particular conversation. Oh, yeah, man. Well, you know, I think we have to really expand our notion of theologian, right? Mm -hmm. And recognize that when we talk about equity, we are talking about whose voices, who are voices of authority in, mm -hmm. in shaping the church and in shaping mm -hmm. our thinking. And if, and if we can only quote white male theologians, then that's mm -hmm. saying something. Right. Uh, but, but if we can look and we can see that there are various other voices within the history of the church that the Lord has raised up, that that really is significant. That's 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 important for us. I mean, <clears throat> the fact that the Lord raises up a poor peasant, unmarried girl named Mary to be a theological voice in the early church, to actually be one of the most important theological voices that helped to shape in a human way, the theological uh, kind of shaping of his own son, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, uh, that's that's important, man. This is a minority. This is a, this is a a poor minority uh, woman mm -hmm. that is the primary theological. Because I mean, you know, Joseph passes off the scene pretty quickly, and we see that the person is actually seems to understand what's going on more than anybody here is Mary, and she's the one that really sort of quoting, quoting uh, Hannah actually really yes. pours a lot of this whole idea of, of, of the kingdom and of the, of the great reversal of the kingdom mm -hmm. and of those who have been on top actually finding themselves on the bottom and those who have been on bottom finding themselves on top. All, and all of those things resurface in the Sermon on the Mount, all those things resurface in the ministry of Christ because, because the Lord strategically uses this woman as a, as, a, as a theological educator and as a teacher of his own son. Mm -hmm. That is, that's, that's big, man. That's, it is. That's, uh, it is. that's, I mean, that's, you talk about countercultural, man. I mean, that's, that's the gospel that nobody wants to talk about, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so we've got to find folks like that as our theological influencers. So some of mine are uh, Mariah Stewart. Uh, who was the first woman of any race to make a political speech in the in the United States? 
She's there's an entire book of her prayers that has been published. Mariah Stewart was a black woman that actually spoke up on behalf of the enslaved and um, mm-hmm. powerful voice. Phyllis Wheatley, Ida B. Wells, Fannie Lou Hamer. These are actual, uh, of course, Harriet Tubman. These are these are these are theological voices. Yeah, um, these are people who approached life from the vantage point of faith and always thought very deeply about what is the Lord calling me to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've got to look at those voices as theologians that ought to be within. And certainly, yeah, these black women also, there are many black men as well. Of course, ML, you know, civil rights leaders, MLK and, uh, and now the late John Lewis and so many others, C.T. Vivian and so many others who thought very deeply about, about our faith. Even, you know, I'll, I'll mention MLK here just for a minute because, you know, there are folks that look at MLK as a social icon, and, but they don't actually consider him as a deep theologian. And he mm-hmm. actually got his his doctoral degree in systematic theology from Boston yes. University. Yeah. Um, and so everything that he he did was, was uh, deeply theological and intentionally so, right? When he was sitting uh, in a Birmingham jail cell in 1963, uh, MLK actually requested some copies of, of systematic theologies. You know, yeah. <laughs> he, was, yeah. he, was, he was, you know, and so he was he was a deep theologian and we got to treat him that way. The spirituals, deeply theological. I think they're one of our greatest Hands down. resources in America is Hands the Negro spirituals. Yeah, so. yep. That's no, good. I appreciate you sharing that, Michael. Thank you. Scott, you highlight that your uh, Myers-Briggs and Enneagram, you highlight it on your Instagram profile. Four wing three is your Enneagram. You've battled with depression and anxiety. You've written vulnerably and beautifully about it. And I appreciate that. I have told you before that I do as well. And so talk about how much self-awareness, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, emotional and mental health, talk about how much self-awareness plays a part in this idea of reconciliation, in this idea of on earth as it is in heaven, and, and what that might mean. Because I think even that, back to what Micah was just saying, that even plays a part in who we might or might not listen to, right? Like a I think self-awareness has a significant part in this. Well, so there is no self-awareness without other awareness. Uh, w- mm-hmm. Without the cultivation of empathy, you're, you're, you remain blind in uh, who knows how many ways. The, the best way to be self-aware is to get yourself in community. It's good. Mm-hmm. And, and especially to get yourself in community with, with people who have experienced the world who've experienced the kingdom of God, who've experienced the church, uh, who've experienced money, experienced power differently than you have, mm-hmm. and, and sit at their feet and you know, open your ears and close your mouth, uh, be quick to listen, <laughs> slow to speak, mm-hmm. uh, uh, self-awareness. And if I can just do a little, little commentary to maybe your, your freshly woke, enthusiastic, white suburban listeners, keep your mouth shut. Uh, truly mm-hmm. keep your mouth shut yeah until until your activism has cost you something um hey you, you want to say that you want to say that line again i mean you can replay <laughs> it but but um and, you know i'm speaking i'm speaking 
from experience, not from a perch on, on this, that you don't want to look if, if you've been part of majority culture, if you're always the last one to speak in a conversation, uh, if you're always the one who gets the last word, you get to decide who sits at the table typically. In this conversation, it is critical if you want to be, I want to say it's a beautiful thing that, that more and more people are being awakened. Yeah, sure. To, to this critical conversation. And sadly, the church is so late to the party uh, when we, when we yeah. could have been so way ahead of this decades, centuries ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and yet, you know, here we are. So, but, so it's a good thing that, 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 that there is an awakening. But, but I, what, what, what has concerned me is especially younger Caucasian activist-minded people who are, you know, carrying the Black Lives Matter flag on their social media, and then you scroll through the social media and you can't find a single black person uh, represented in the social media or black voice or black anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're dropping the hammer on their parents, you know, and they're dropping the hammer on whoever they want to drop the hammer on. Humility is key. This is, this is to me, you, you say, you know, how self-awareness that, that to me screams lack of self-awareness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is not your voice that needs mm -hmm. to be heard right now. Uh, it is you that needs to bring others to listen to voices of color yeah. uh, in a humble way and then follow mm -hmm. those voices. That's why I'm so excited about Micah's leadership, your leadership now, Derek, in, in yeah. our city. Uh, what, what I'm, what I'm, in, what I'm extremely hopeful for, and, and I believe that our city is is right for this. As many cities are right for this, is I believe that that perhaps for for the first time in the history of Nashville, uh, there might be a really significant critical mass of of white people who are ready to follow leaders of color and e eager to follow leaders of color mm -hmm. because they're, they're recognizing that this is an area of their sanctification that has not been touched yeah. and, mm. and needs to, and needs to be. And, and maybe the protests and other things have awakened that, uh, and the emphasis on cross-cultural churches, uh, you know, the rising emphasis on cross-cultural churches within evangelicalism, et cetera, is awakening that. But now is the test. Because, because, you know, and, 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 and this is where you're going to discover, you know, if you're, if you're a Caucasian like me, whether or not you're really all in with this or whether or not you're really just after tokenism mm -hmm. and, and some, you know, some, some good looking stuff on your social media feed that people can like and, and praise you for, but that doesn't cost you anything. You're going to get into this and then you're going to discover that, wait a minute, you're not, you're not just being asked to listen to a black preacher. You're being asked to submit your whiteness mm -hmm. uh, to 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 a to a community, and, and by whiteness, I mean the white way of doing things, mm -hmm. the white way of assuming, you know, that 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 you know you have rights and privileges and entitlements that that, that have just been the air that you breathe all your life. To submit that mm -hmm. uh, to a community of people that have not had that experience and enter into and assume uh, that experience of, of being the line, put yourself at the end of the line instead mm -hmm. of the front of the line. That's going to be the real test of how woke, you know, the, the, the fresh, freshly minted activists really are. 
Yeah. It's one thing to go on a political rant. It's one thing to show up with your fraternity brothers to a march. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's quite another thing to submit and subject yourself to a dark-skinned ministry leader preaching the gospel of a dark-skinned savior from a dark-skinned part of the world a Bible written by dark-skinned, oppressed, jailed, imprisoned people who have a deep, personal, visceral understanding of the actual context into which the holy or out of which the Holy Bible came. There's yeah. one, there, there are there are two two books of the Bible that I can think of that were written by a person in a place of privilege. One was Ecclesiastes, and he was miserable. Mm-hmm. And the other was Song of Solomon, and that one just gets gets its own its own category. <laughs> but you you go to the books of Moses, you go to the prophets, you go to the letters of Paul, letters of John, the letters of Peter, the the Gospels of Jesus Christ. You you are reading material written by people under severe state persecution, you know who who are oppressed, who are impoverished, who are crying out, "Let my people go." And, you know, having their eyes gouged out, you know, and mm. and this is an opportunity if, 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 if you're accustomed to privilege and you really want to lean into this, these things. This is a, an opportunity to, to discover what you're really made of or, or, on these things, because when you are asked to change and, and submit and, and listen more than you speak for a long while and to be trained and to be to be uh, led and mentored, and if you're still in, uh, not just three months later, but three years later, yeah. uh, then it's time for you to maybe start being a voice, you know, at, at the table and, and and so on. But right now, just bring your friends along and sit quietly and receive, mm-hmm. and listen, learn, go away with your friends, process it together, humble yourselves together, keep coming back. But I, you know, I, I'm excited, but but I'm also skeptical of mm-hmm. of of a lot of the sort of Caucasian, you know, fresh wokeness right now because it hasn't started costing white people much yet. Yeah, starts to cost. Like when when you lose, you know, the purse strings from your parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you you know when you get criticized for being you know too political by people who are too political, <laughs> you know, just on the <laughs> other side. Uh, you know, when 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 you start, you know you know, being labeled a Marxist or a critical mm-hmm. race theorist by people who don't even know what critical race theory is and by people who don't even know what a Marxist is. You, know, just, you start getting labeled and you start, you know, saying, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not backing off from this. Um, I'm humbling myself. I'm learning. I'm, I'm changing. That's I'm good. submitting myself to the sanctification of Christ under the leadership of persons of color. And, and you can sustain that. And it starts costing you something, you're woke. Yeah. <laughs> but, but until then, um, just you know, just just uh, adopt a humble place. I love that, Scott. Man, it's, sorry, that was more of a sermon than a question answer. No. but but no, no. I mean, if good. I have a if I have a concern and an excitement, uh, you know, they both kind of run together around that. I think white people are huge. You know, Ken King wrote about that in in letter letter from Birmingham Jail. Like 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 right. critical to to progress is having white allies. Yeah. You know, in a culture that's dominated by white power and supremacy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's critical to have white allies, but 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 they can't be moderate you know, though. They can't be playing the fence. No. No, you got to be the same person in public 
mm -hmm. your white friends as you are in private with your black friends. Right. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to say, it's, uh, first of all, I love that because it's, it's a denial of self kind of self-awareness that you're talking about. I mean, it's, it's exactly what Jesus called us to, to be his follower is not, not a self-actualizing Christian moralism, you know, kind of hedonistic idea. It's a very deny myself and be able to follow this Jewish rabbi and, and the people of color that are his leaders, that, that are people who serve with him as well. And it's interesting, isn't it? I, as you were talking, I wasn't thinking about what I was going to say, but right as you were finishing, it dawned on me, I've never thought about this before, that that Nicodemus may be one of the best examples of what you just said. Uh -huh. And and I'm not saying that in the sense that he had a different skin color necessarily than Jesus, but that he was a person of power and of great power who 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 it did cost him greatly, at least from what we understand, as far as what the early church teaches. It did cost him significantly that he would be willing. And here's the most quoted chapter of the Bible, right, by all of white evangelicalism, John 3. And yet it contains the story of an individual that actually shows us a model of what it might look like to submit to this. And, yeah. and, and you're right, man. I mean, that, that, we, we, that idea of a denial of self, self-awareness, not self-actualization. But that's back to theology, Micah, isn't it? That it's mm -hmm. us dropping the I've got to live for God and be good for God ideology. Mm -hmm. And submitting to a theology that's more of a with God life, and and I mean it's it's a different it's a different mindset. Yeah, you know I think it's important for us to recognize that um, you know Christians, you know the majority of people, many Christians, and we can say this kind of we can say, hey, look, yeah, you know the church is like way behind the culture on these things, but we got to remember Jesus is still ahead of the church. Yeah, and because he's ahead of the church. There's always a remnant that's actually ahead of the culture. Hmm. There's always some folk. There's always some Christians that actually were saying this before the before it became popular in the culture. You know, yep. that's right. And we can look at the church and say, "Hell yeah, the church is way behind. The church is even behind NASCAR." And it is in many ways. <laughs> but there are always some folks that were ahead, way mm -hmm. ahead of the curve. Uh, you know, I, I think particularly of of the black church in particular in this in this instance and. Uh, but but there were even there's even been white folk that mm -hmm. the Lord has spoke to in a unique way down through the history of our country that have for the sake of the gospel seen things that that the culture and folk who have been you know sort of intoxicated by the culture were I, you know I think of a guy named George Bourne George Bourne was uh, he was a, a mid 19th century Presbyterian minister who refused to give communion to slaveholders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so here's this white man who uh, is, uh, <laughs> you know, who's living down uh, in Georgia and he absolutely just refuses to give it to them. And he ends up, he ends up actually being disciplined by the general, by his, uh, by his presbytery in the general assembly and mm -hmm. uh, ends up being defrocked. But, but George Bourne was, was ahead of the curve. Actually. Yeah. In, in, in the mid 19th century. You have folks like um, Juliet Hampton Morgan, uh, who was the, he, she was the librarian 
at uh, the at the library, the public library in Montgomery, Alabama. And in 1948, this is seven years before the Montgomery bus boycott, Juliet Hampton Morgan started attending an interracial prayer meeting for women in the city. And because of that, and she was actually, uh, she was just, you know, she was a white, wealthy, she was the great, great granddaughter of a Confederate general, okay? Mm -hmm. And so she was a part of the white Southern aristocracy Everything about her life said that she should have continued on in the way of segregation. But there was one thing that pulled her out of it, and that was the gospel. And when she began to enter, uh, go into this interracial prayer meeting, she began to have a real heart for, the, for the, the, the daily indignities that her Black sisters and brothers were dealing with. And so in 1940, and, and by the way, she was a person that dealt with severe anxiety and depression. And she was so anxious that she would not drive herself to work. And so what happened was she ended up uh, she ended up taking the bus line, taking the bus to to work every day. And that's when she saw the way blacks had, were being treated on the buses. Mm-hmm. And and this wealthy white woman, uh, white southern great great granddaughter of a Confederate general when she saw blacks being mistreated in 1948, seven years before the Montgomery bus, bus boycott, she stages her own boycott and she starts to pull the emergency. So whenever she would see the bus uh, uh, bus drivers mistreat a black passenger, she would pull the emergency cord and and, and basically, uh, you know, raise raise, a, you know, cane right there in the middle of the. Uh, in the middle of the of the buses, and she she would do, she did that, and she began to write series of op eds, and she she sustained severe backlash from her family, her community. She was ostracized. She lost her job, and eventually, sadly, she lost her life. But she was a person that, for the sake of the gospel, was way ahead of the curve. And so, we, I think it's important for us to know what we have in the gospel and in the scriptures. It's no reason for the church, again, to be behind the culture or even just where the culture is. We have a revelation that puts us, we have, we have a view of the eschaton. We have a view of what, where everything is going at the last day. And so when we see the glory of that, what King called the beloved community, when we see the, the glory of that, it ought, to, it ought to reveal something to us that's that's always ahead of the culture. That's yeah. always, you know, so, so yeah. So I just wanted to lift that up. No, no that's good. Well, fellas, as we, uh, as we get ready to, to wrap up, um, and this is for, this is for both of you guys, Micah, you, um, you, you wrote a book called, uh, uh unearned suffering and, and Scott, you have a new book. We mentioned it earlier. Um, uh, a gentle answer. Why don't you guys both take, and just talk about what you what you hope readers are going to wrestle with most upon you know reading what you guys have have written in in your books. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, the power of unearned suffering is uh, a book I, I wrote. It's uh, really a product of a dissertation I wrote at uh, Calvin Seminary, and it really digs into MLK's theology of suffering and the way in which we engage suffering to the glory of God. Um, what what I hope people will get out of that is I hope that they will see that nonviolent direct action is actually guided by and and is upon the theological foundation that we see actually at the cross itself. 
um, the first non, really the, the kind of ultimate nonviolent direct action that we see exemplified uh, in the history of humanity is what we see exemplified at the cross of Christ, who did, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, who continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. And he did that uh, giving to us an example so that we should follow in it. And so uh, what you see when you see these pictures of young civil rights activists putting themselves in harm's way at segregated lunch counters and before Bull Connor's fire hoses and attack dogs and billy clubs is you actually see people that are committed to the way of Christ of, uh, mm. to engage their suffering to the glory of God. And, and I hope that people will be guided and I hope that people be, will be committed to the way of not acquiescence, not saying, well, well, let's just go along to get along and not violent retaliation, you know, uh, or say, well, let's just, you know, they hit us, let's hit them back. Mm-hmm. But, but the way of Jesus, the way of nonviolent direct action, the way of, of engaging injustice, engaging suffering in a way that exposes the ugliness of, of injustice, but also exposes the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of, of God's intentions for our relationships with one another. That's good. Scott, what about you, brother? Yeah, so uh, the latest project, thanks, uh, is uh, A Gentle Answer, uh, subtitle Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. And it's, uh, it's a book written around the concepts, uh, the concept of Proverbs 15.1, uh, the truth yeah. of Proverbs 15.1, where it says a gentle answer turns away wrath and you know, the, I, I guess the premise is that, that we live in a climate that is, um, is, is uh, enculturated by outrage and not only canceling bad ideas, which is, which is appropriate, but, but canceling human beings, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, creating a, a new list of unpardonable sins that, that become irrecoverable, uh, for, mm-hmm. uh, individuals and communities and just, uh, completely eliminate reconciliation processes and such call out culture shaming and, and Twitter shaming and so on. And, and so it's the climate, uh, that, that we're in and, and, you know, we were anticipating, uh, an election year as the, the time that we would release this book because things just didn't go well uh in terms of people coming together uh yeah. in 2016 and and we anticipated something even more challenging this time around and and yeah. ironically we barely even talked about the the presidential election as a culture i guess that'll change now that that uh vice president biden has chosen his his uh running mate and yeah. I guess those conversations are starting to escalate but it's just been there's just been so much else you know, in 2020 so far that, that people have treated as an occasion to judge and punish each other over. And, and, and so, uh, interestingly, the, the very first, uh, anecdote in the book's introduction, actually the very first sentence of the book is a quote from, from John Perkins, uh, where he says this generation is the first to turn hate into an asset. Wow. Uh, and, and then I, you know, I spend several pages just sort of opening the book talking about the life of John Perkins, of Dr. John Perkins. He's in his 90s and, and still yeah. at it. You know, he was, he was a contemporary of King and, and you know, C.T. Vivian and John Lewis and, and, and uh, you know, 
Rosa Parks and all, you know, all the others. Like he was, he was part of that and got physically, you know, assaulted for his race and, and, um, you know, it's just been through a lot and he's, you know, assumed throughout the duration of his prophetic ministry, mm-hmm. uh, the things that Micah was just talking about of, 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 of a resistance, uh, and of a protest that, that is truly filled with peace, full of peace, peaceful. He's after, he's after justice and, and, and he's after forgiveness. <laughs> he's, he's after repair and he's after reconciliation. You know, his, his whole, you know, drive is, is the relational component uh, that leads to, to just action in ways that, that, that coerced political justice will not always lead to relationships, <laughs> you know, healed relationships. And he's, you know, he's, he's still just a wonderful leader in that regard. Yeah. And so the book's yeah. teed up with John Perkins and then, and then, you know, sort of off to the races on, on how to cultivate, you know, from using the resources of the gospel, how to cultivate a heart of gentleness so that we're prepared and equipped for, you know, to be life-giving contributors to, you know, these conversations and initiatives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well, gentlemen, we greatly appreciate your time. This has been uh, edifying for me. Uh, I'll speak for Jason too. I know it has been for him. Uh, we appreciate yeah. you brothers and uh, the work that you guys are, are embarking on here in, in Nashville. And my, my hope and prayers that as, as other churches are peering in and seeing what you guys are doing, that man, you guys can be the, the front runners, forerunners for so many others to follow suit. So uh, thank you guys for leading the way, and thank you again for for joining us. So I know for uh, for you guys, you're on social media. For Scott, are you just on Twitter or Instagram? I'm on both, and my my tag on both is at Scott Sauls, and and also Facebook. And I've got a I've got a website, scottsauls.com. Just so Mike, just in case Micah forgets to say it, uh, he's launching Koinonia Church uh-huh. in Nashville, Tennessee the Sunday after the presidential election in November. So I, I don't know exactly what the date is on that, but, but uh, November 8th. Yeah. November for your 8th. listeners who, you know, don't already have a, a church home that they're part of and committed to and, and are interested in a, in a cross-cultural work under amazing leadership. You know, I, I wanted to put that plug out there in case Micah did. Thank you. <laughs> so brother. good. It's good. <laughs> well, we appreciate you making that because uh, uh, I definitely was because like I said I'm, I'm gonna be following uh, Micah and the work that he's doing here here in the city like I said we're, we're following your footsteps here brother so we appreciate it and for you Micah your social media as well uh, uh, at Micah underscore Edmondson is that is that Twitter and Instagram or or just one yeah that's Twitter and Instagram although I'm more active on Twitter than Instagram I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm sort of finding my Instagram way but uh, <laughs> it's but a journey like, too, brother. Yeah, it is a journey. Yeah, I'm certainly on Facebook as well. But uh, but yeah, with Twitter, uh, certainly Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, uh, we appreciate you guys again. And for those who are listening in, thank you again for joining us on the Reconciliation Conversation. You can join us next time as uh, we continue the conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining in on the Reconciliation Conversation. Remember, you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Recon Combo. You can also stay connected with us through our website, reconciliationconversation.com, or feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel under No More Night Media. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time.